not there. They have, they're gone. And I'm thinking, well, where did they go? Um, and the best I could figure is that they had simply been stolen. And I don't know if it was, you know, when we parked it at the shop in town or the day before when I was parked outside of a gas station for five, ten minutes in Fox Creek. Somebody had come and just, and just swiped them, right? And uh, obviously that was very uh, disappointing and disheartening. You almost feel a little bit um, violated when somebody takes something that doesn't belong, or that, that was yours, they steal it, right? So I'm sure many of you have probably had similar experiences of having stuff stolen from you, and it doesn't feel good. Um, so I share that, but imagine right now, if, if right now in church somebody stood up at the back of the church and, and said, yeah, uh, uh, sorry, uh, that was me that did that, and um, I've... Since that time, I've come to know the Lord, and that's why I'm here at church this morning, and will you please forgive me? Now, suddenly, what's your reaction, right? Suddenly, church at, you know, in Claremont got a whole lot more interesting (laughs) on a Sunday morning, and maybe a little bit awkward, right? Um, So how do you think I would respond, or how should I respond to that, if that were to happen this morning? I think we know the answer, right? I should probably forgive that person, right? Um especially since he's now a brother in Christ, right? He's come to faith. Um, Colossians 3.13 tells us that as the Lord has forgiven us, so you also must forgive one another. We know that what the right answer is, but is it always easy to do? Does it come naturally to us all the time? And if you're anything like me, I, you know, I don't, it doesn't come naturally to me anyway all the time. Now, just some stolen work tools, they're not the end of the world. They can be, you know, replaced. Um, it's just stuff, right? But what about um, amongst ourselves when there's those deeper hurts and offenses amongst ourselves as believers? How do we forgive those that ask for forgiveness and move towards reconciliation? You know, we do face a temptation that when we are offended, when we are wronged, especially in the church, we face a temptation to become bitter and angry and resentful and not forgive that person, even if they ask for it. So how do we handle that? How can we find a way to move forward um, towards the forgiveness that we're commanded to practice? Well, I want to look, um, I hope we can answer that today, and I want us to look at a small book in the Bible um, called Philemon. And if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, It's tucked right between the book of Titus and Hebrews. And I want to look at kind of the book as a whole, but don't worry, it's only 25 verses long, so it's not too long. But but I was also told we have an extra hour because of daylight savings time. (laughs) I'm just joking. um, So yeah, I just want to lay out just briefly um, the background to this letter so we can kind of get a sense of what's going on. Um, So it's written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison, and he wrote it to um, a believer named Philemon, hence the title of the book, um, who has lived in a place called um, Colossae. And he is someone that had probably become a believer through the ministry of Paul in that area. So there's a, a, a connection there. And we also get a sense that as you read this letter, that he was no slouch in that church either. Um, there's a lot, Paul has a lot of really positive and um, good things to say about him. He was quite committed and involved. And we also know that the church actually met in his home. So he's quite, um, quite a strong believer by all accounts. We also know that he was probably someone with a degree of wealth and affluence in that society. 
And the reason we know that, well, he hosted people in his home, so he had to have a decently sized home, I'm sure. But he also, um, based on this letter, we know that he also owned slaves, and he owned a slave named Onesimus. Um, and this slave Onesimus had run away from Philemon and possibly had even stolen from him. And so now Paul is writing this letter kind of on behalf of Onesimus to bring restoration um, in that fractured relationship. Now when you hear that, um, you know, Philemon was a, uh, a Christian, but that he also owned slaves, I think, to our modern you know, sensibilities, that doesn't seem to match, that doesn't seem to line up. Um, and to be fair, it, it probably was, was wrong, right? But in those days, in, in that first century world, it was a very, very deeply rooted and established practice in the society at the time. Again, it doesn't make it okay, but that does, also doesn't mean that these things where the church kind of grew up into are going to change overnight. Um, and we know elsewhere in Paul's letters and his writings and in this letter as well, that Paul, um, as he preaches the gospel, begin, it begins to subvert that whole thing, like that everybody is equal in Christ. And so we know that over time and through history, as the church began to influence and impact that society at the time, um, slavery was becoming less and, became less and less common. And you also can't think of the slavery in that time necessarily as the slavery you might think of when you see it, you know, more commonly portrayed in, in the movies and in the media of, you know, that deep south slavery that was racial and that was cruel and harsh. Um, it was quite diverse in the first century world at the time. Um, many slaves were actually treated fairly well by their owners. I mean, it varied. I'm sure there were times that uh, they, it was cruel. Um, and some people even sold, would sell themselves into slavery um, to pay off a debt or a loan. And some people actually became slaves because it was more secure in terms of having food and lodging and protection than if you were a free man and, and you would have been poor. Um, and some slaves even rose to prominent positions in government and in civil service. Um, either way, I, I just want, and I mean, we could, you could ask me about it more later, but I just don't want that to become a hang-up for you as we look at this passage, is that it, the church had to wrestle with this. And uh, in this passage, we see that, um, it, we just see that it's a reality that had to be wrestled with, and it's not as cut and dry as we might think. So Philemon owned the slave, maybe he owned several, but one of them ran away. His, uh, as I said, his name was Onesimus. And for Onesimus to do that as a slave, to run away from his master and to steal from him, that was not something that was taken lightly in that world at that time. Oftentimes, it was something that was even punishable by death. So you have this situation where Philemon has, by the standards of his world, been rightfully wronged in a very serious way by, by Onesimus. You know, if you think of a, a modern comparison, say you owned a company and you just bought a brand new, you know, $70,000 pickup truck for your well, actually, they're, not really, they're more than that now, probably, I'm sure. But um, you bought a brand new pickup truck for your, uh, for your company, and, and one of your most trusted, valued you know, uh, employees um, just takes off with it one day and just is gone, gone forever, right? Um, and you never see them again. I mean, how would you feel as a company owner, right? You'd be pretty upset, um, but you know what? That's not all there is to the story. It's not just about a master and a slave and uh, 
and this, um, this offense that has been done by the slave. Um, as Onesimus, we read in, in Philemon, as he's run away from his master, he has run, somehow run, smack into the Apostle Paul. Um, he seems to have found his way to Paul. And I don't know if that was intentional, like he sought Paul out, or he just, you know, God in his sovereignty somehow orchestrated this, that this, this slave would run into the Apostle Paul. And then we learn that through the ministry of Paul, he has become a follower of Jesus. So this runaway slave has now become a follower of Christ. And so now Paul is writing on his behalf as his fellow brother now, that's, and wants to bring reconciliation. He's sending Onesimus back and is writing this letter to Philemon to say, please take him back. Um, it's no longer about slave and master or employee and employer, but it's an issue, a conflict between fellow believers. And it's a very complex situation. And you know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time in the church or just in life in general you know that we can sometimes, we can often face those complex situations in the relationships that we have with each other, um, especially in the church. There can be some charged situations and and there can be tensions among us. You know, it's not always um, roses and sunshine among us, right? But so how are we to move forward? We know that we need to forgive each other and seek reconciliation, but where do we begin? Well, there's three main things that I think Paul, um, that I see that Paul lays out, um, three main things that we are supposed to know as we move forward in um, seeking forgiveness and reconciliation when we're faced with those conflicts. And obviously there's a lot more to this that we could go into, but I just want to focus on the three main things. And those three things are, is that we need to know ourselves, know yourself, Know your brother or your sister. And finally, know your Jesus. And then I will go through the letter and just highlight those three things. Um, so if you want to read with me um, verses 1 to 7, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Um, starting at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. And Aphia, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So one of the first things that Paul does in this letter is to express gratitude to God for Philemon. It seems that Paul is thankful for what God has done in Philemon's life, that he is a man that is full of faith and love, and not just towards Jesus, but towards the other saints as well. You know, in the, in the last part of what I read there, he's someone who refreshes the hearts of the saints. I mean, these are some pretty encouraging words for Philemon, aren't, or for, uh, yeah, for Philemon, aren't they? You know, how would you feel if that's uh, 
if those kind things were said about you, right? I think we could all say we'd feel fairly encouraged. But Paul also, he, he says a prayer for Philemon, for Philemon that his sharing of the gospel or his sharing um, of your faith. And that word sharing is the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. It means a deep sharing. And so Paul's prayer is that that sharing, that fellowship that he has in the faith with other believers would go deeper and grow and, and lead to a fuller knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So it isn't a solo thing for Paul as he's praising Philemon, right? And it's not a solo thing for Philemon either. And it's not a solo thing for us. That it's very much um, about being in a community, in fellowship with other believers. So the work of Christ in Philemon's life plays itself out in how he engages with and lives out um, life in the church. And I don't think that, as Paul was saying this, that he, you know, he's just you know, trying to butter Philemon up for like, you know, the hard things that are, he's about to ask Philemon to do, right? You know, I, I kind of teach you those things maybe in management courses or leadership courses. You know, if you have to like, confront someone, you start with like, affirmation, and then, and then you move to the, you know, the criticism, right? Like, you bring a lot of positive things to this job, but uh, you're really terrible at it, right? No. Um, I think Paul here is being real and genuine. I mean, he's not, he's not actually praising Philemon. He's praising God for what God is doing in Philemon's life. And by doing this, he's establishing in Philemon's mind this idea that God is the one at work in you. This is who you really are, Philemon, by the grace of God in your life. So that Philemon would know himself in these ways. I think for Philemon, when he thinks about this situation with Onesimus, I think it would be very easy and feel very justified to feel like a victim in this circumstance, to feel wrong, to be upset. And to be fair, he was wronged. And he, we could say he did have a right to feel hurt and angry. But Paul doesn't want him to see himself that way only, right? You know, I think in our day and age, and I think it's just also just human nature, um, it's very easy to see yourself um, just as a victim, Right? That victimhood is how we define ourselves. That everybody is out to get me. That I'm the one who's being oppressed. That I deserve better. But as believers, we can't allow that to become the dominant way we define ourselves. Like Philemon, we are people within whom Christ dwells and within whom Christ is working and who Christ wants to continue to work in us together as a body we're people who belong in fellowship. So that means that when there is a rift in that fellowship, in that community, that we are people who desire to seek reconciliation. Like Philemon, we are committed to our fellow believers, to our fellowship with other believers. So that's the first thing Paul wants Philemon to know. It's the first thing he kind of lays out. I think it's a good way to, you know, set kind of the tone for the letter. Um, the second thing Paul wants Philemon to know is for Philemon to know who his brother is, to know your brother. So if you want to read with me verses 8 to 16, um, this is kind of the crux of the letter, if you want to say. This is where Paul really lays out his appeal. So, Verse 8 says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, 
Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I have preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to be, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What does Paul clearly lay out here now about, about you know, Onesimus? Is that he's no longer just a runaway slave that's offended you, Philemon. That he has become your brother in Christ. Notice the strong familial language that Paul uses here, right? Onesimus has become like a son to him. He's become like a father to Onesimus. So a radical change has taken place in this, this runaway slave's life that he's part of the family now, the fellowship of believers. And not only that, but he's gone from becoming useless as a runaway slave and as a thief to becoming useful. He was useful to Paul in Paul's ministry, wherever Paul was. And he would become useful to Philemon too, if Philemon will take him back. It's interesting, right? Because Philemon has been a great helper to Paul in his ministry, and now Onesimus has also become a great helper to Paul in his ministry as well. And this isn't just random, right? He says, um, for perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while. Like God is at work in this situation. What does Paul want Philemon to do? He wants him to look across the table, so to speak, at this slave, this former slave, Onesimus, and see more than just that. More than just a thief, but to see him as a brother in Christ. That no longer a bondservant, but more than that. Now if you look at verse 16... And it's probably the most important, I would say it's the most important verse in in this entire letter. Um, For Paul to say this at this time, in this culture, in this part of the world, um, it was like a bombshell. Slaves and masters did not become brothers in Christ or brothers and sharers in anything. There was an important and distinct separation. Punishment was needed to be doled out on Onesimus, right? Right? He needed to be put in his place. But see, the Apostle Paul is pointing to a greater reality than just the world as it is around you. There's something deeper going on here. It's the power of the gospel to radically transform even our most strained and difficult relationships. It's this gospel that invites all people, regardless of their backgrounds, their heritage, their status, invites all people into the fellowship of Christ, into the church, And Paul wants Philemon to see that this is the deeper reality that's taken place in Onesimus' life. That this former slave is now your brother. I'm going to ask us, do we have any Onesimuses in our lives? People that are difficult to love. People that might um, have offended us or caused us great hurt in the church. And they might have even asked for forgiveness like Onesimus is doing here. How do we see them? How do you or I see them? Do we see them 
merely as the summation of their fears and their failures and shortcomings? Or do we see them as our brothers and our sisters in Christ? It's going to be mixed, right? It's complicated. But are you, see, are you choosing to see them as brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we see them as someone for who Jesus Christ has died for? I know when I've, you know, I've been in church leadership um, uh, back in Valley View, and uh, yeah, there are times that you face difficult circumstances. One of the things that has helped me is to just remind myself that Jesus Christ died for this person. And it kind of takes the, uh, the harshness sometimes of how we might want to think about those people, right? Um, so I'd encourage us all to think about um, that person the next time, um, you know, how we tend to cycle through and, and think about um, those people that have hurt us. Um, so that's the second thing, to know that this person is your brother or sister in Christ, to know that they are someone who Christ died for. So then the third and final thing that we see in this passage is that Paul wants Philemon to know who his Jesus is. Let's read verse 17 to 20. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your, very, your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So Paul concludes this letter by asking Philemon to treat Onesimus like he would treat Paul. If you know, Paul were to come visit, treat Onesimus exactly like he would treat me. Receive him as you would receive me. But Paul also promises to pay off or cover any cost that Onesimus has incurred because, because of his crime, because of his running away. I mean, there's still obviously a cost associated with it, right? It doesn't just go away, and Paul understands this, but he himself is willing to take on that cost. I must get this sense, like, if you had Philemon on one side and Onesimus on the other, here's Paul kind of in the middle trying to, you know, broker <laughs> a reconciliation between these two people. Now I have to ask, does this remind you of anyone else? Who else has stood in that gap between an offended party, between the offender and the offended, and has brought about reconciliation? I mean, who else has paid the cost and the penalty for the sins of runaway slaves? Who else has paid what is owed to, that, to the master? It's not, it's Jesus, right? He's the one that has done it. He has brought reconciliation. And so what Paul is doing here, he's living out the gospel in a very real and practical and everyday kind of way, right? This seems like just a kind of -of run-of-the-mill, everyday fight that we might come across. But Paul is emulating Christ's example. He's being Jesus in this moment. He's giving a real-life example of what Jesus has done in Philemon's life and the lives of all of us in a much greater way. See, Onesimus isn't the only runaway slave in this story. That he is not the only one who has betrayed his master and is worthy of just punishment and death. Paul is saying that Philemon, you as well were once a runaway from God, but God has brought you back. 
You and I were all once runaways from God, and God has brought us back. We are the ones who have rejected and disowned our rightful master and run in the opposite direction, but God, right, in his grace and in his sovereignty has allowed us to run into Jesus. The great reconciler. And so Jesus is the one who has paid the cost, who has paid the penalty for our sin and has covered the expense and is now, you know, standing between us and God and trying to bring about that reconciliation. Not only that, but we've been brought then into the fellowship of Christ, of other believers, the church. That is, Christ doesn't just bring one of us at a time. He brings, well, maybe one of us at a time, but he brings together a whole community of people who have been reconciled to God. The playing field has been leveled, that we're not, no longer defined by our status um, as slaves or as whatever else, but as children of God and sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters in Christ with one another. It's this radical community that the Christian church is of people who have been transformed and reconciled to God. Paul's encouraging Philemon to know Jesus more and more. That at the beginning there, that verse, that the knowledge of, your, of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Here's an opportunity now, Philemon, for you to know that even more. The gospel is indeed the big story of how God reconciles sinners to himself and makes a way for salvation. But it's that big overarching story that also wants to play, God wants it to play itself out in all the little stories of our lives, those, those stories of tension and, and, um, and conflict between ourselves. For us to choose forgiveness and reconciliation with each other over becoming... Over, um, over become, becoming just bitter and angry and resentful. And it shows the world, the watching world around us, the beauty of the gospel, that there is another way. And so this small letter that Paul wrote to Philemon shows us what it means to live out the gospel when we face those tense and difficult circumstances. So those are just some foundations. And I, I realize that it's not just one, two, three, and it's done, and it's easy. It's, it's a process. It's a difficult thing that the offenses and hurts can sometimes be very deep. You know, and even when somebody like Onesimus comes and wants to be forgiven, asks for forgiveness, wants reconciliation, um, that it does take time sometimes. But like I said, I think those three things that Paul lays out in this letter are an important starting point um, for us. We need to think about those things. To know yourself as someone in whom Christ dwells and is working in, that you're part of a greater thing than just you yourself. That you're part of a fellowship, a community of believers who have people, um, people who have Jesus living in them. And that we see each other, the other person, as a brother or sister in Christ. That's, that is also someone who Jesus died for and is working in. But then finally, to know Jesus and the great work he accomplished on our behalf, that he is the one who is the great forgiver and reconciler, first for us in our own sin, but also is the one who can bring about reconciliation with each other um, and bring restoration. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, uh, this passage. It's such a short little letter in, in the book, um, in the Bible, and yet it's so powerful, and there's so many more things we could discuss about it. But I just pray that uh, as, as your people, as believers who are in community, that we would desire peace and reconciliation with each other, and that we would um, depend on your spirit to bring that about. And we know we can't do it in, ourselves, in and of ourselves. We need your spirit. So thank you for this time, and, and just pray now that you would go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much, Chuck, for sharing us, sharing with us this morning. Um, yeah, so we just have a closing song. So if you'd like to stand or sit, uh, but join us as we sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing Thy grace. Never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song, sung by flaming tongues above. Raise the mount, I'm fixed upon it. Mount of God's unchanging love. I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. And I hope by my good pleasure, safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me with a stranger, to rescue me from danger, interpose his precious blood. Oh, to praise how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to me. Let that grace now like a feather, find my wandering heart to thee. Thank you for uh, your message through Chuck this morning. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, if this is something that, yeah, if this is something that is present in our lives today, Lord, that I pray that you would help us, each of us in this process, Lord, as, as Chuck was saying, it's it's not an easy process, Lord, but you've, you've, you've clearly given us a path to follow. Um, we are forgiven because you forgive, and we can forgive others because you have forgiven us.
Uh, so I pray, Lord, that as we go through the week and, and ponder that and, and work on that, Lord, I pray that you would be with each of us as I imagine we each have someone in our lives that uh, maybe we can help or work with. I just, yeah, thank you for this time, and I just pray that you'd be with us this week. In your name, amen. Thanks, everyone. You may be dismissed.